What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Dimling here with y'all as always. Come to y'all here from Louisville, Kentucky. Reminder, you can listen to the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcast. You can also watch on YouTube as well. Remember, wherever you listen to your podcast or, or watch as well, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button wherever you can. Leave a five-star review if you can. All those ways help us grow the show and bring the show to more and more people, bigger audience. A big day of college across in the books here on Saturday, April 15th, so Recording this here Saturday night, so we're not going to get into Sunday's games on today's recap, on this week's recap episode. We'll talk about those on Tuesday, but am going to get into a lot of the games that went down, a lot of the big ones that went down today. I want to start here with the game that I watched, probably the most of, was focused mostly on um, during that noon Hour and that is Army and Cornell. Army, uh, a, a, a top 10 battle there at West Point. Cornell gets the win 11 to 10. Unfortunately, the stream, there was a power issue, I believe, at Mikey Stadium. Stream dropped about the nine minute mark of the fourth quarter. So, saw up to that point. Um, and then it drops off. I know there's a video of Aiden Blake's game winner out there on social media that you can find, um, but we did not see that. Uh, unless you got to see that uh, in person, we did not see the final nine or so minutes of this game on the stream. 11-10 game. Cornell gets the win here in a top-10 battle. Aiden Blake with the game winner. A few things I want to talk about here. First and foremost, Michael Long back in the lineup here for Cornell. It's his second game in a row playing. He played at Marquette. He played today as well, his third game of the season. He played fantastic. Three goals, two assists. Uh, CJ Coast was held to just two assists on the day. I thought AJ Pollock did a fantastic job guarding him for Army. And that Army defense played very well in what was a defensive battle here. Um... But Michael Long steps up in this steps up in this one. Three goals, two assists. Billy Coyle had three goals. Aiden Blake two and one, including that game winner there for Cornell. When you look at Army, uh, Reese Buick was held with one and one. He was on. Uh, Gavin Adler drew that matchup. And again, I, I think a really good defensive day for for Cornell. And for Army in this game, a, a defensive battle nonetheless. And both the top two defenders, Pilot for Army and Adler for Cornell, I thought played fantastic in this one. Paul Johnson had four goals, one assist to lead Army in this one. He had a natural hat trick in the fourth quarter, part of that late game big run there. Where Army is able to take the, the lead, and that's the only lead they took of the day. I believe it was a... Um, was it a 10-9 lead? Yeah, 10-9 lead, and that's the only lead they had all day long. This was a a game where 
Army was kind of crawling back the entire time, and they were always right there on the heels. They never could quite get over the hump until uh, that natural hat trick there from Paul Johnson. Uh, in terms of goal, goalie play, both goalies had 12 saves. Chase Irwin for Cornell knocks a dent for Army, knocks a dent back in the lineup this week after being out the past uh, two weeks. He went down against Loyola three weeks ago. And I believe it was the fourth quarter of that game. And it has not played since until today. Comes in the lineup there and really has a great day. Both goalies do, I thought. Again, it's a defensive battle. Both goalies played great. Both of these defenses played fantastic. Really a, a top 10 battle that was as advertised. Um, You know, I think the biggest aspect for me, though, in this game, certainly you talk about the defense and the way that both these defenses played. Um, I, th I think in that regard, Cornell probably had the better day defensively because they were able to limit Army's offense a bit more than Cornell's offense was limited on the day. And, and for me, that's one of the biggest, one of the big pieces of this contest. Um, it is the Cornell offense and how they were able to control this game, really. And Cornell was able to kind of control the game, not outright, but did win the possession battle, um, especially through the first three quarters. So you saw, um, I believe Cornell went like 46-45% at the dot, while Army went like 53% with Coletti. Cornell saw Kaskinen uh, get the majority of the draws. Silos and Petrakis also got draws there. And let me pull this up real quick. What it was at the end of the third quarter in this contest here. So, Army, uh, Cornell went 50% at the dot through the first half. And they went 2-for-3 in the third quarter. They went 53% through those first three frames of the day. That was huge. And for Cornell to keep getting those possessions was huge. And to get those at the dot was certainly a big deal against Coletti in the first half in that uh, third quarter. Which, look, you only had three face-offs because it was a defensive battle. Cornell opened the half. Oh, excuse me. Was it Army that opened the half? Uh, yeah, Army opened the half man up in the uh, in the third quarter. So you had no face-off to start the uh, start the second half. So you did just have three face-offs in the second half um, in the third quarter. Now, Cornell also held Army 8-16 for 20, 80% in the clearing game. And they also caused five of Army's 11 turnovers. All four of those failed clues in the day for Army came during the first two periods of play. They had two in the first, they had two in the second. And that is what I think is probably the biggest, you know, biggest thing that, that, that was working against Army in this game was those struggles in the first half and struggles at the dot and possessing the ball. 
And there was a point in this game where Army had to play basically three consecutive possessions of defense. It was a nearly four-minute defensive stand. Really good, good moment there in the second quarter for them defensively. And then they subsequently got those two goals there. Who I, I can't remember who had scored um, for the box score here. It was Gunner Fellows and then Reese Buick um, scored those next two goals there in the second quarter, which made it a 4-4 game. And I think Army's ability to, you know, they had that long defensive stand, and they had two field clues in that, in that stand. And some of it was Cornell's 10-man ride. Some of it was just stupid mistakes, bad passes for Army. So it's a mixture of both. Um, however, Army, having to do that and having to play that much defense, you could tell, like, at the half, they were tired. And after that stand, early in the second, or early through midway in the second, they were tired. Absolutely exhausted. And then your offense wasn't helping you much by not getting those long possessions they needed to give you offense or to give you a defensive break. And even when they did score, they were losing the they were losing the draws pretty uh, consistently in the first half. Your defenses has to go back on uh, go back into attack mode there, and the aggressiveness the army plays with. Um, they're not. The defense isn't necessarily built for these like long-standing possessions. Another thing Army is not really built for, they can do at times, is playing fast. And I think that is kind of where this Cornell team got them. And I mentioned on Thursday the transition ability of Cornell, how deep this midfield is with those defensive midfield guys. And look, you had Ryan Sheen get one in the third. You had uh, Christopher Davis get one in the third. Both are transition goals. That, for me, I thought could have been the turning point in this game. Could have been the turning point in this game because that puts Cornell up 7-5 to five with 7-0-2 left in the third. Now, Army draws a penalty. They get a man-up goal from Jacob Malin. He had two man-up goals on the day. Uh... One in the third, one in the fourth. But even after that man-up goal from, from Army, Cornell goes Roy Graham, goal. Spencer Wertheim, he had that diving goal there in the fourth. Uh, both of those, Graham, Wertheim, coming in the fourth. And that puts them back up 9-6. to six. Every time Army was able to answer, whether it be a two-goal run, a, a goal here to tie it again, Cornell was able to answer bigger. And Army did not, like, to, to their credit, Army did not let Cornell get out and run very much. They had those two goals in the third, and that was kind of it. It was more of a six-on-six -six game throughout um, the contest, and I thought both defenses did a good job, as I mentioned. Cornell was just able to answer bigger and more frequently than Army in this contest. And look, you have the four-goal run there at the end by Army. What happens? You get a Cornell goal from Michael Long with like 3.23 left, and then you get the Aiden Blake goal with nine seconds left in the contest. I mean, this one, it looked like things were heading to overtime um, as I'm following there on, 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 the, on the stat broadcast thing, and then 
see Michael on goal there. So this is a game I thought was was as advertised. Um, I thought, and honestly, if you look at it, if Cornell doesn't, if if if, it's, if this is a two one game at the end of the first instead of a three one game, this thing goes to overtime. Like a close battle between two very very good teams is what this one was. Two top ten teams at that. And if you look at the, you know, the postseason implications for this game, you know, Cornell, look at their schedule first here. They're at Brown, and they end the year against Princeton. Like, they're in pretty good spot. I think they win. I mean, certainly they win those two games. They're going to get the number one seed there in the Ivy League tournament. They're the best team in the Ivy League. They've looked like that all season long. Um... For all of me, though, they're in a, they're, they're in a different position. And, and look, even like Cornell, they can lose the Ivy League tournament in the title game and will probably still make the NCAA tournament based on the RPI and, and all of that. The NCAA selection committee announced their, was it, their initial top 10, which we'll talk about on Tuesday on our Blackatology talk. Um... But I mean, that was interesting. Army, I think, was number eight in that, uh, which I think some people were surprised by how high uh, they were in that one based on the schedule that they have. Uh, Cornell was, I think, number like, five or six. So like they were both they were both in there. So um, and Cornell higher. I, I you know it's a Cornell win. It helps them. Certainly helps their resume. Um, how much though uh, did they? Is it like a win that they needed? Not, not really. Like last year, you looked at this game and Army wins, and you say, "Oh, like that helps their resume." Now, ultimately, Army's held out of the tournament, and the Black Knights. You know, this season they've got Navy next weekend in Annapolis, and they're home against Boston U. Win both those games, your number one seed in the Patriot League, and your resume is that much better. Moving on to the next game we'll talk about here, uh, Virginia and Duke. I, I just want to ask this question. Did anybody, and I mentioned this on Thursday, did anybody see this going any other way? Duke wins. It is Duke's, let me pull this up here real quick. It is Duke's, uh, so for the 25th time in the last 27 meetings, between these two, Duke has won. Duke has won 25 of the last 27 against Virginia. They have not lost in the regular season. I believe we had said it was since 2004. Certainly have not lost under John Donowski. Um, the streak continues. The streak continues. And look, kudos to Virginia. Um, I, I just want to say this real quick. I don't know what it is. Like I don't know what it is. That, did Mike Pressler cast a spell before he left or something like that? I, I don't know what it is. Um, but why can't Virginia beat Duke in the regular season? I think I asked this a couple of weeks ago. Why is that? I honestly don't know. I mean, look, you lose 15 to 14 on the road here. Um, excuse me, at home here. Virginia outscored Duke 10 to 5 in the second half of play. They scored the final three goals as well as seven of the last 10, and they lose. Big, big. Kudos to William Helm in this game and what he did for uh, Duke. And this one had that big save there. 
at the end to uh, really uh, help secure this victory. He, he had 12 saves on the day. Kenny Blower had four ground balls. Connor Schellenberg played in this game for Virginia. Great to see him back. Um, he had one goal and two assists in this contest, so uh, Blower didn't win the battle as much as he did last time out. I think the biggest thing for me in this one, and just looking to the stats here, um, I saw someone say, <laughs> I can't remember who it was, they said, Virginia, Duke Part 2, uh, <laughs> Jake Naso Strikes Back or something like that, uh, Star Wars reference. Uh, Jake Naso went 65%, 21 for 32, 11 for 15 in the first half alone. Um, it was, I mean, it was a nearly guarantee that Duke was getting the next possession every single time. Um, you know, Dyson Williams scored the first goal this game, and it was off the races for the Blue Devils. You no, know, McAdoy goes three for one. O'Neill goes two for one. Williams, Schelling, Caputo all had the same stat line. Like, again, just a really solid first half here for Duke. A really good game for Duke. Um, and, you know, credit for Virginia. I mean, they cut it. It was ten to four at the half, um, and you kind of felt like, man, uh, th this one could be worse than, than last time out. Uh, but you know, uh, Jeff Connor, you know, ends the half with a score. That is a that that makes it a, a that Jeff Connor goal gives them four on the day. It was ten to three. Um, and then so okay, you, you're down by six. That that's manageable. And with a half left, you've got three more goals that come out of that, including a insane and 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 credit here to Matthew Nunes. We've talked about his progression this season a lot on this podcast. He had 17 saves today. I think most. Um, pull if I had this. If I put this in here or not. Um, yeah, 10 of them coming in the second half. I think he had five or six in the third quarter alone. Um, Virginia goes on a 4-0 run uh, from that Connor goal late in the second through the third, uh, through early in the third quarter. They make it a 10-7 game, and you're like, oh, oh, this one's not over. Um, however, um, look, Virginia is able to... No, uh, Duke is able to pull back ahead 13-8 to early in the fourth. You get Xander Dixon, Evan Zinn. They make it a three-goal game once again. Um, and that would be as close as they would get it up until that point. It was just three-goal game, three-goal game. Duke would keep on answering. Um, three-goal run late in this contest to make it a one-goal game. You had... A couple shots late in the final seconds, fine, like under a minute left. William Helms there to make the save. Again, big day for him. Uh, Duke moves to 11-2, 4-1 the ACC. I think they've submitted themselves as the best team in the ACC so far right now. Take a sip. I think... Um, Virginia, you know, eight and three overall, two and two in the ACC. They host Syracuse next week. Should win that one. We'll talk about Syracuse here in a second. 
Duke's off for two weeks. Duke's off for two weeks, and then they play Syracuse. Um, I want to end this one. Something I, I don't, I, I, you know, I watched most of the second half of this game. Um, so I didn't watch a ton of the first half after I saw <laughs> what, what it was doing. I had it on the TV, kind of looking up once every while and, and checking on it and just Duke's doing what, what you expect them to do. Um, but, but, but again, credit to Virginia for being able to come back in this one. I think they showed in that just how good of a team they are. Um, and, and Duke, obviously, in being able to hold off Virginia. And look, if there's another three minutes in this game, I'm not so sure it goes it goes any, it goes a, a different way. Um, if there's another minute, another another thirty seconds, like maybe it goes Virginia's way. But I, you know, the, the I mean, the coast is real. Um, it's it's odd. It, it's odd. Um, now I want to talk about the news that came out during this game. Um, and I believe it was, it was on the broadcast and I'm uh, not talking about the, so the presentation of the broadcast is a whole other story. I'm not going to dig into that. It was, it was atrocious though. I'll say that it was atrocious. Um, um, of not, not of the Virginia Duke game, but of the Carolina Syracuse game. Um, that is where we got some news on that broadcast of the, um, ACC schedule. So I mentioned Duke is off next week, and then they play Syracuse. And that's the last game of the, the last ACC game. Then they play um, Merrimack on the Saturday of Selection Sunday of Selection Weekend. Tournament Weekend. Conference Tournament Weekend. Derby Weekend, as we call it here in Kentucky. Um, you know... I don't get this scheduling for the ACC. I've said it before. Play a couple teams twice. I don't like it. They did it in 21. They did it in 22. They did it this year as well. I think last year it hurt them. I'm not so sure it's going to hurt them this year because um, you're going to get Duke in. You're going to get Virginia in. You're going to get Notre Dame in. That's clear as day. Those are three of the best teams in the country, if not the best three teams in the country. Absolutely. But last year, we saw what happened. Now, whether that was the catalyst to do this or not, I don't know. <laughs> but, Anish Roth on the Syracuse, North Carolina broadcast had said, the ACC is getting rid of this scheduling alignment. And going back to the ACC tournament. Now, the ACC tournament really doesn't mean much um, in terms of, like, uh, getting a bid and all of that because the ACC cannot get a bid. They only have five teams. So the ACC tournament still won't mean much more than just bragging rights. Um, like, it, 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 And you want to win, obviously, but you don't get the AQ. So... The AQ is not coming back until they get a 16. Louisville, NC State, Boston College, Georgia Tech, we're talking to you. So that's not, that's not coming back. 
But the tournament overall is coming back. The ACC tournament. And they're doing away with the play uh, play one or two teams twice. Or two, each team plays two other teams twice each year. They're doing away with that. Now, in going back to the scheduling, I ask of the ACC. I ask of the ACC. One, one favor. One favor. I don't ask for much. Can you make it the same weekend as every other conference tournament? I don't want to see Duke and Merrimack on the day on that Saturday of selection week. I don't want to see Virginia and Lafayette on that week. I don't want to see the an ACC team and whoever doesn't make the Patriot League tournament play that week. Don't do that. It's stupid. It's absolutely stupid. I, I don't like it. You should not play regular season games after the postseason is over. After your regular season has ended. Do not do that. Never, ever do that. ACC teams have done it before. We've seen it. I do not want to see that ever again. It is something that I've never been a fan of. I am not a fan of. I do not want to see come back. The ACC playing games after the regular season is over, after the conference tournament. So, ACC, if I ask of anything from you, and I don't ask for much, please, pretty, pretty please, do not bring back the tournament and put it the week before everyone else plays their tournaments. We do not need Virginia or Carolina or whomever it is, Duke, Notre Dame, Syracuse, to play a team that doesn't make the Patriot League or doesn't make the MAC. Or, you know, these, we, we, we don't need to see these teams play games. They're going to win 17 to, 17 to 7, 20 to 9. We don't need those. We don't need those. Sure, there's been years when it has gotten teams to 500. That's very true. Seen that before. It's not. We don't need it though. It, it it doesn't make any sense. It really does not make any sense. So, ACC, I'm glad that you're bringing back the old schedule. I like it. I was not a fan of these double headers of these double uh, playing certain teams twice. I was optimistic at the beginning, but. At the end, I was not a fan of it. I think it mostly hurt the conference. And the tournament is a better solution to, I think, I don't know what problem. I don't want to say they were trying to solve a problem. But the better scheduling solution is going with the tournament, even if you don't get the AQ, um, you know, Rather than just saying, well, we don't have an AQ anymore. We don't have six teams. So how about every team plays uh, one or two teams twice every year? And we'll rotate every other year um, or every two years. Who each team plays twice? I just did not like that. Did not like that. I, I prefer a traditional schedule. You play your opponents, your uh, regular season your conference opponents, you play them once and you have a postseason, 
if you meet again, we get a high-profile rematch. Um, and, and that is the way that it should be. Now, keeping in the ACC, moving to another uh, game, one that I actually mentioned a minute ago because this news was on the broadcast of this one, Syracuse and UNC. I mentioned the broadcast. We're not going to talk about that. Um, not the commentators, Anish and, uh, was it Quint? Did good as always. I guess that's an opinion, but, um, broadcast is a, is a fact that it was, um, could have been better, put it that way. The presentation could have been better, but great to see the crowd there at, uh, was it Good Council High School, um, they're in Maryland, um, which I'm not going to talk about while we're playing an ACC college cross game at a high school in Maryland when neither school is in Maryland, but that is neither here nor there. Um, another embarrassing thing for the sport, I would say. But um, great to see the, uh, the the crowd on hand. That was uh, that was not part of it, absolutely. Um, and uh, the game was just as good as we hoped. It would be uh, Syracuse 15, North Carolina 14, neutral site battle, freshman Michael Leo, two goals including the game winner with nine seconds left in this contest, gets under his defender, diving score for the win, North uh, Syracuse beats North Carolina, snaps their seven-game ACC losing streak, which dates back to uh, March... 22nd, I believe it is, of last season. Whenever they beat Duke uh, in the Dome, that was their last ACC win. Um, look, Syracuse makes two sizable runs to, to kind of get ahead here. Um, they tied it at, the, the, the Orange tied it at 7-7, tied it at, got, got ahead 8-7 during that first run, uh, during the second run there, which was like third quarter through... Um, Oh, the, the first run, the second quarter through late in the third is when they went on that big run there. And then you had a Griffin Cook goal late in the, in the third. I think it was like 25 seconds left in the third. That run was 5-1. to one. Um, That last through the 6-17 or 6-18 mark there of the fourth quarter. And I thought this was a game, look, Syracuse, they had beaten Princeton last week. They, they played a phenomenal game, wire-to-wire -wire win. They come in this week. And I, 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 I wrote this, let me pull this up here real quick. I wrote this in my uh, week, week, uh, week 10 notebook uh, in my winners and losers section here. And I, I'll read verbatim what I said here. Um <clears throat> You know, you know, I said in here, the saying, Syracuse is a year away, has been said all season long. It's likely true. With many new and young faces leading the way for this orange squad, head coach Gary Gate has himself an extremely talented team that has shown its youth all season. However, this group got their first ACC win together on Saturday evening in a game that they would almost certainly lose had it been played a month or so earlier. That's true. I mean, Syracuse loses this game a month or so earlier. They just do. Uh, this is another example of this team growing up, this team getting better. And I, I tweeted after Michael Leo put that game, put that goal, goal in. I said, 
Syracuse is on its way back because that is the truth. Syracuse is on its way back. And we can have a discussion about what back means. Was Princeton going to the uh, Final Four Championship Weekend last year? Was that them being back? Or was that just a great season? Um, and I think, you know, you look at what they've done this year and you some might say, well, might just be a great season. But you look at the recruiting, you look at the talent coming in and, and, and the potential, and you might say, well, you know, give it a few years and, and we'll see. I think that's probably the right approach. With Syracuse, when I say they're on their way back, does that mean that they're going to be a title contender next year? I don't know. Or they make a quarterfinal run next year. I think that's possible. Uh, but this is an extremely young group. Joey Spolina had two goals and two assists in this one. Michael Weir had two. Will Mark is a new goalie in that system, a transfer. He played fantastic in this contest. The only area, really, where Syracuse uh, wasn't very good today was at the faceoff dot. And that was expected. Andrew Tyler went, what was it, 68% against uh, against Syracuse for Carolina. But here's the thing. Three, four, five weeks ago, Syracuse has a, a guy that goes 68% against them. They lose the game. They lose the game because the defense isn't playing good enough. This defense has gotten better. Sam Lux has been fantastic the past couple weeks. This Syracuse team is night and day from what it was game one. And that's what you want to see. You want to see growth every single year for every team. And Syracuse is the most high-profile example of that. Uh, you've got these young guys in here now, and certainly some of these grad transfers aren't going to stay because they're gone after this year. But getting in this year, helping those guys along, helping these young guys along, understand what they need to do to win, what they need to do on a day-to-day -day basis to get better, how to you know, live the life of a college cross player that wants to win a title, how to how to be how to play like a champion, that's what they need. And you got these graduate transfer guys in here for you. They're helping these guys along. Will Mark he'll be back um, you know, next season as well. And I believe he has two years of eligibility um left actually because he was a freshman in twenty twenty. Um or was he a freshman in twenty twenty? Yeah, so he has, I think he has one year left, actually. Whatever. He'll be back next year in cage. His defense should be better. The only question, really, they had some miscues on clearing. <laughs> and they had some miscues at the dot, obviously. That's it. That's it. Syracuse has to get better in the middle of the field. Um, holistically. They do that, and this is a team that can compete for a quarterfinal run next season. Absolutely, they have that kind of talent. Now, you have to put it together, and you can't lose like you did to Hopkins earlier this year. And they're not doing that anymore. They won a game that was tied with like a minute left. Again, three, four, five weeks ago, a month and a half ago, they lose this game. This is a clear sign of growth here for Syracuse. Princeton, North Carolina now. Good win for the Orange. Great to see these guys continue to get better and to grow throughout this season. Now, moving on here. 
to a couple other games that we'll talk about quickly here, because uh, we are getting a little over here. Um, Yale. Uh, clap it up here for the Yale defense. I've been very critical of this unit since last season. They were absolutely terrible last season, uh, the back half of the year. They continued that this year throughout the season. But they had their best game, their best half, that I've seen this, uh, this uh, Yale defense play in quite some time. This was amazing. They held Brown to two goals in the second half. They get a win. This is a team that came in allowing 14.44 goals per game as the 66th best or 66th ranked scoring defense in college across. They were allowing 17.75 goals against Ivy League teams. They come in today. They beat Brown 16-10. They're down 4-1. They come back in this one. Chris Lyons, seven goals, one assist. Big must-win game here for Yale. It, the, the loser of this game was knocked out of the Ivy League tournament. The loser of this game was knocked out. Brown is knocked out. Now, Yale has to win. Because Yale still has to win, I think, one more to, like, to, to clinch a spot. But they're still alive right now. They've got Albany next week, and they've got Harvard. I think Yale can beat Harvard, but I also think Harvard can beat Yale. So that is going to be one that you absolutely circle. And we know what that one was last season. It was a f fantastic game. Vermont. I'm going to talk about Vermont here for a second. Um, Matt Schaefer, 11 saves, anchors this Vermont defense. They had to weather a, a storm here late in this contest. <laughs> Excuse me. They uh, got up here, Vermont did. Vermont gets up in this one was 7-6 to six at half, and then they were up. This was a close game the entire way. Um, were they up at the one point when I had checked? Uh, when I had checked in earlier, five to seven to three is what they were up at the one point. Five, uh, seven to three, uh, late in the mid to late in the in the second quarter, and uh, uh, Bryant goes on a really big run here in the game in the first half on a three goal run. They add two more early in the second, make it an eight to seven game to get the lead. Um, and then you have Vermont with Tristan Whitaker, uh, Carson Boyle, and then Tristan Whitaker again. Whitaker, the freshman, had five goals in this game. Fantastic game for him, including a uh, really nasty BTB goal. With I mean, the defender was he had to go over the defender practically for that goal. It was phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> and the funny thing is, um, I can't remember who it was. Um, Brock Haley had tried to do it literally five seconds before. Um, it was like a 3-15 three, three mark, um, and he misses on it from the same spot. And ball goes out in the left corner. Bring it, they bring it back in on the restart, and Whitaker just kind of just kind of weaves himself right, right through the defense, right into that spot, wide open. Gets the goal, boom, puts it in there. I think it was like a 3-10 uh, mark. So it was like really a five-second difference. Um, and he puts it in there. But, uh, no, I mean, Bryant, you had Aiden Goltz with, with, with a goal late. 
to make it eleven to twelve a twelve eleven game, uh, Bryant down by one, and then uh, Ezra Zabagut uh, Zab Ukoch, believe how they pronounce it on the broadcast. Um, he comes in with just kind of beeline. They pulled um, Alexander. They, they pulled the goalie out of the cage. Um, Bryant's goalie, who I, whose name is uh, escaping me, Alexander. Look, okay, I was glad. They pull Alexander out of the out of the cage, and uh, he he gets one on the open net, and that kind of kind of ices it, but it kind of doesn't. Um, so <laughs> Bryant wins the ensuing faceoff. You have uh, a timeout. Kevin Goniger goes down and gets a goal with 18 seconds left, but there's a flag. So after the play. Bryant retains possession. They restarted at the midline with 18 seconds left. Man up. Bryant got, and let me pull up the actual shots here. Bryant got one. Bryant got, that's right. Bryant got two shots off in this one. Uh, both from Aiden Goltz. Both go wide. Uh, really good defensive stand here for Vermont to weather the storm in this one. And they take hold that number one spot there in the America East. They've already beaten Binghamton. Now, Vermont has UMass Lowell, and I think, uh, is it Albany? No, they played Albany. UMass Lowell and UMBC left. That's who they have left. And let me check this one score here real quick. We still have one game going. Uh, had one game going when I started this, I believe. Uh, Binghamton wins 16-13. So, uh, Binghamton and Bryant will play, I believe it is either next week or the week after. Um, yes, next week. Binghamton and Bryant will play for that number two spot, essentially, in the American East. Now, there's always a possibility. Vermont, like if Vermont loses UMass Lowell and UMBC, I think UMBC is the more likely game that they lose. If they do lose one, um, then they would get the uh, that would be kind of a draw there. But I think that they would still win the they would still win the tiebreaker over Binghamton and Bryant. So big win here for Vermont. And, and, and look, Vermont has now they have not lost a America East game. Since April twenty fourth of twenty twenty one, when they lost to Binghamton, they went six and zero last year, and they are five and zero as we speak. UMass Lowell, UMBC left. Big win there for Vermont in America East play. And the last thing I want to hit on with that. Vermont game is, um, guess who didn't play well? Tommy Burke. Tommy Burke, 8 for 23 um, there against Nathan uh, Liebert for Bryant. He goes 9 for 28. Uh, tremendous day for him. Uh, really good battle between these two. Went down to the wire, and uh, Vermont gets the big win there in America East. Play. Um, one Big Ten game today, I, I watched this through the first, uh, had it on the TV through the first half or so, um, 
17-7, Johns Hopkins over Ohio State. Uh, the Blue Jays went 7-0 in the third quarter and uh, get the win here. Ohio State's not looking good, folks. Like, in a Big Ten that is really, really tight, uh, Ohio State's at the bottom. Um, Drexel. <clears throat> Drexel and Hofstra. I'm going to have to go back and watch this one. Um, and i got to buy the subscription to do that if I want to. So, um, maybe so. But we'll see. Um, CAA is always crazy. I call it the Crazy Athletic Association for a reason. Drexel came into this week, I think, 3-0, 4-0, maybe 5-0 in conference play. And they were undefeated in conference play. They dropped a Hofstra, 8-7 in this one. Uh, Surprising to me, the Dragons were held to just two goals in the first half, were held off the board for a nearly 27-minute stretch in this contest. Um, looking over here at some of the other scores. Oh, <clears throat> do you want to mention, and again, one I was not able to see, Tucker Dordovic, game winner over Georgetown, 15, uh, for Georgetown over Marquette, 15 to 14. Um, I think this is one of the games I said on, on, um, on Thursday, like, watch this one or keep an eye on it. Um, I made that was Providence, who got blasted 20 to 8 by Villanova. Um, but Georgetown gets another win there, uh, the seventh win in a row, I believe it is. So they keep on rolling. Uh, Denver escapes St. John's 12 to 10 in another game that majority of us were unable uh, to watch, and the, the live stats weren't even working for that one as well. But uh, hey, props to St. John's for, for for playing tough in that one. They've played tough in a couple of games this year. Uh, you, Big East losing streak is it, it's going to end. I, I don't know when. Uh, but no, I, I feel that program is getting better uh, day by day in Denver, being able to slug that one out. All right, folks, that's it for today's episode. As always, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also watch on YouTube. Hit the like button. Leave, uh, leave a five-star review where you can. Hit the subscribe button wherever you can. All those ways help us grow the show. Connect with us on social media at LacrosseBucket on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. LacrosseBucket.com, where it's always lacrosse season.